0: Thanks for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. Our Sunday services are held at 1030 a.m. at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To stay up to date with what's going on at Joy Church, check out our website at www.joychurch.life. The following message is presented by our senior leader, John Poundstone. The last, the last Sunday of every month, we, we bring a teaching. usually it's by somebody else. People are traveling and so forth this morning. So I get to do it. Um, on, on fundamentals that we, we believe strongly what it says in the book of Hebrews in chapter six, the first few verses, where the writer of Hebrews is, inc- is, is uh, encouraging those people to, to move to go to the next level to go beyond the basics, the elementals, the foundationals, the fundamentals, and into, away from, graduate from milk and go into meat. That's that's primarily our lane. That's really what we do a lot in this church. That's part of our culture as we usually go on toward the deeper things. It's so important that we every now and again remember to teach the fundamentals, the basics of the Christian life. The, again, in Hebrews chapter 6, the, The Bible describes six general areas, and there are a ton of topics within those areas. And this morning, you know, I'd like to share with you a little bit about the fundamentals, capital fund. You know, (laughs) we, we say it all the time here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of the things that you'll ever, ever want or need are added unto you. Well, the end, his righteousness is really, really important. It's as important as seeking first the kingdom of God. There are four pillars to finding, growing, knowing the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God, connection and community. God always builds things through family, whether they're family by blood or otherwise, and through surrender and yielding. Letting God be God in your life. And so we oftentimes, very often we say, read your Bible, read your Bible, listen to the Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible all the time. And we have some real Bible girls and Bible boys, Bible kids and Bible nerds in our congregation. We're very fortunate that we do. But you know, here's what we hear a lot. I don't have time to read the Bible. Um, I'm kind of too busy. It's too hard to read. It doesn't make sense. You'll see in a little bit. Of course, it doesn't make sense. And there's a reason. You know, this verse over here completely contradicts this verse over here. It doesn't make any sense. Besides, nobody follows it. Everything I read in the Bible, I don't don't see people doing that stuff very much. Hardly at all. It seems like reading the Bible or people who really get into the Bible just leads to a lot of division and fighting among different people groups. And those are all valid. Those are all reasonable. Let's start here. Naturally, as human beings with human minds, we start to believe that we need to reduce the Bible to our own understanding. In other words, we sort of feel like we need to tame the Bible. A lot of how-to-read-the-Bible teachings are kind of centered and focused on how to tame the Bible, how to make it manageable, how to adapt the Bible in a way to human understanding and human logic. It's a natural thing. God gave us a mind to apply critical thinking to those kinds of things. It's just that this is the one written work in the universe to which none of that applies. Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Again, we hear that so much. And then there's, there's a discipline of Doing that. And that word is often mischaracterized. Again, it's right in the book of Hebrews, just a couple chapters later, the few, six chapters later, the Bible tells us that the way that we know that God really loves us is he disciplines us. Some translations say chastises us. Not like our parents, because remember, in Christ, all punishment died. There is now, therefore, no punishment, condemnation, etc., in Christ Jesus. When we are a kingdom kid, punishment has been taken care of. So we need to look at discipline differently. In fact, the Bible in that same chapter says, not as our parents do or as our parents did, but God guiding us. Sometimes he does that with coaxing and encouraging and cheerleading, and sometimes he uses it with a little love tap, whatever, to keep us and get us back on track and keep us there. That's discipline. And Bible reading is kind of like that. We should be careful to not mischaracterize that word discipline. We need to be extra careful of that whole notion. And this happens so much. It's happened to me in my life. I'm going to ask for a show of hands in just a second. You'll see how many go up. When it comes to Bible reading, oftentimes people feel like, well, I should. I should. I should read my Bible this morning. I should read my Bible more. I should read my Bible more often. I didn't read my Bible today. I should have. Has anybody ever experienced regret, guilt, self-recrimination for not reading their Bible enough? Sure, sure. That's not discipline in God's eyes. You see, <laughs> what can happen is that we fail. we're humans. we fail what we set out to do, we even make resolutions along that line, and that that what happens, you do that long enough and often enough it it suddenly transforms into drudgery. Reading the Bible all of a sudden is an obligation, a duty, and it can turn into, oh, gotta to go, how do I go read my Bible That's drudgery. Or, worse yet, we end up back in grade school, and it can end up being a grading system for humans. I read my Bible today. A. I got an A grade. I read my Bible today and got Revelation. A plus. Yeah. I read my Bible today, but mm, I was really kind of a little bit busy every now and again thinking about other stuff. Well, I get a B. I read the Bible, and yeah, I put in my ten minutes, my one hour, whatever. <clears throat> but I, I can't say as though I, I can't say as though I really invested in it, did it with excellence. That's a C, and you can guess where the D and the F go, right? We're not—we're sons and daughters of the King. We're children of God. There is now no therefore no grading system for humans. We're all the way in and we can't lose it. God isn't up there with a grading chart turning it in every semester on how you did at reading the Bible or any other spiritual discipline. So, can we just ask the Holy Spirit to help us dispense with all that? Can we just say, bye-bye, the Bible's there for us, it's a gift, it's a free gift. Whatever we do with it, one minute of invested time, God loves it, your Heavenly Father loves it. So, I'm going to try to help you this morning rethink Bible reading. You see, in you, within you, there exists hardwired, from before time, an innate desire beyond your brain, beyond your mind. A deep, deep, deep anatomical curiosity to know God deeply. He created you in his image. Somewhere deep down inside of every one of us, even the people that age, back there in the back of the room. We want to know What God's really like, or maybe even, is there even a God? And if there is, what's he really, really like? His character, his personality, his nature. What does he really think of me? What's the story? Why is it important? What's my part in it? Those are the questions the Bible helps you answer. The Bible is intended for revelation to reveal things. The Bible is intended as adventure the very opposite of drudgery. Now, I'm going to speak this morning out of my decades of experience reading the Bible. There are lots and lots, I mean, people go to school and seminary and Bible college for years, learning the academic aspects, the deeper aspects of soteriology and exegesis and hermeneutics and source languages and all those kinds of things. And I love that stuff. I am a complete geek when it comes to those kinds of things. I'd like to come at it from a different perspective this morning. My wife and I have three different friends I could think of off the top of my head who in this area are or were prospecting geologists. Anybody know anybody who goes out hunting for gems or for gold or for sheds from Big game, or for from back in my home state, garnets, opal, agate, all those. Yeah. So, what do you do when you're a prospector? One of our, one of my friends, this couple, it, are responsible for many of the lithium deposits that are around. They hunt and they make, they stake claims for lithium mines. A very dear spiritual daughter of a of ours who had a birthday yesterday. Her father was a very, very well-known gold geologist who helped large companies uncover deposits and then they ended up working for the state of Nevada as a state geologist to help oversee that whole process. And another person who's a local in town, extremely well-known, not all that long ago, passed along. We all know him. just stop and think all the friendly locals of that big guy with the deep 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 voice he was always out and about but yeah i wasn't going to say that name because as we're being recorded but hopefully that didn't that didn't show through so yeah we all know that guy right there's another guy that was always prospecting right now where i grew up in southwestern montana it's another massive mining area, the largest, one of the largest open pit mines in the world. The Berkeley Pit is in Butte, Montana. That's just north of where I grew up. And our family had a lot of friends who, who had gold fever. You know, in the little town of Argenta, the little town of Bannock, the little town, lots of little towns all around, Hecla. There were huge deposits of everything from gold to silver to molybdenum. Wow, I said that. Molybdenum. Uh, mum, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So there, there were there were people that actually got a little mm, psycho. They they were so they had gold fever so bad. Anybody know anybody like that has a little? Yeah, they're right around with their in our in our pickup trucks with sluice boxes in the back and gold pans just in case. Oh, that looks like a good place to pan. He's prospecting, right? Cause why? Cause what if I find something? what if i dig it up what if i discover the motherlode what if what if there's treasure in them dar hills that's why i'm calling this prospecting the bible the upshot of this message is let's try to help the holy spirit help us develop a prospector mentality for unearthing the treasure that God has for each person uniquely, highly tailored to individuals, whatever treasure he wants you to unearth today and tomorrow and next year as you plumb the depths of the Bible more and more. Now look, I would be doing you a disservice. Many in the room or some in the room may not know some of the overview basics of the Bible. So may I see the next slide, please? So, here's the Bible by numbers. It is on the screen, but for the sake of the report, the recording, I'll repeat it. The number two, that's how many testaments or covenants there are in the Bible. Some call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some call it the First and the Second Testaments, and so forth. In the Bible, there are 66 books that made the end edition. 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses almost 800,000 words in the King James, depending on who you believe, anywhere from 30 to 40 different, different authors. Annually, around the world, there are approximately 100 million Bibles published every single year. It is estimated maybe in the neighborhood of 5 billion have been published. So, what's, why is there a Bible? What is its... Purpose, is it a question, is it a collection of stories, or a collection of characters, is it, is it historical, is it all about history, is it, are there, is it just legend, is it just myth, is it a set of morals and rules, set principles, is it a philosophy, Christian philosophy, or Christian spirituality, I've even heard it said a lot of times, is it an owner manual for human beings? Right? Owner manual for my life. Right? Anybody ever heard that? Sure, raise your hand if you have heard that. Yeah. You know, stories? Yes, there are lots of stories in the Bible. The Holy Spirit asked the author to put them there because they're illustrative. We can relate to the human beings that are in the story. They're characters. They're relatable. We can apply our own imagination to them we can pull that character forward we can see ourselves in a similar situation so yeah characters are important in the bible yeah history is important from one standpoint it's, it's amazing how much more science archaeology so forth are uncovering the historical confirmations of what's actually in the in the archaeological record with what's in the bible yes that's good it's not primary Moral code, yes, yes, absolutely, you bet. But that pales, pales in comparison to what actually the Bible has. Principles, yes. At the end of the day, if, if we base our lives on principles, we end up bored and boring. And the Bible is not by any means boring. Can I apply a philosophy or a spirituality to it? You bet. I absolutely can. If I want to reduce it to nothing. Owner manual for humans? Yes. It's kind of the same thing. If I want to limit the Bible to my own understanding, (laughs) not all that impressive. My understanding is not really all that huge. It's pretty self... Limiting. So all of the foregoing, taken to their ultimate conclusion, really lead to taming the Bible. Overlaying the Bible with selfness. Improving self, justifying self, comparing self, judging others, reducing the Bible to self, which is both nothing and it misses the whole grand and glorious point. You see, God is way. Better than you think. And the Bible contains way better news than you realize. The Bible, for me, after all of these decades, is mind blowing adventure. Not even kidding you. The Bible tells us that we can actually acquire, in a corporate setting, in a group setting, the mind of Christ. Over time, we can see things, think things, we can see people, we can see situations in the same way that God does. We don't replace God by any means. We let God live through us, but we can actually see things through heaven's eyes, and we can actually perceive them and respond to them with God's thinking, God's mind. That's pretty cool. And the Bible is the number one tool to help us get God view, God ways, God truth, and God life. Jesus actually said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which is a great segue to the next slide. Here's the Bible by the numbers. All that stuff in the back that I just shared with you for overview is completely Not the point. The point is that there's one one inspirer of every author in the Bible. The Holy Spirit of God. God himself. If you read the Bible deeply enough, long enough, and you do all the things I'm going to recommend in the remainder of this message, you will actually discover the truth of that. The Bible has one main purpose. We're about to celebrate a couple of weeks. The death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus the Christ. who is the very, the literal pathway to the Father. The Father has wanted since the fall in the garden to reestablish that connection with you and with me. And the pathway to that is Jesus. So to the extent that we allow the Bible to reveal Jesus the Christ, who he is, what he's really like, what his whole purpose was, what God's eternal purpose is for the church, for you, for him. That's why there's a Bible to reveal, uncover, unearth the treasure who is Jesus Now you can say, well, wait a minute, what about the Old Testament? Well, when you read the First Testament nowadays, you need to do so from this side of the cross. Because you can ask the question: hmm, how does this verse in Numbers, Lamentations, Deuteronomy, Exodus, how does it reveal Jesus? It does. It does. When you gain experience at this and you're talking to other good people and you have good sources and so forth, you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. And you it helps reveal him even more. Not only that, he shows up a lot of times in person in the Bible. He wasn't manifested as fully human yet. He wasn't Emmanuel yet but he nevertheless shows up on scene. They call the big fancy word, they call those Christophanies. He shows up. Oh, there he is. He appears. This, so so the, the First Testament is all about, kind of, not kind of, it is all about Jesus before he laid down all of his privilege and walked among us. It was before his thirty-three plus years of life on earth. It was before his three and a half years of public ministry. The last book in the Old Covenant is the book of Malachi, and there were and every now and again, the people who were God's nation would hear from God every now and again through a prophet. They couldn't talk with God directly. There was no access to God directly. They had to depend on the prophets and the scrolls. But Malachi was one of those. After Malachi, there were 400 plus years of silence. Nobody heard a word from him. And then, that's what we celebrate Christmas. is all about. Luke chapter 2, and so forth. John the Baptist, that's, if there hadn't, there could have been no ascension without a resurrection. There could have been no resurrection without a burial. There could have been no burial had there not been a death and a crucifixion. And there could not have been a death had not Jesus done his perfect, his job perfectly and lived a perfect and sinless life and did everything the Father asked him to over the course of that 33 plus years. There could have been none of that without the birth of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the point of Christmas, but Christmas was just prelude to Easter. Because Easter gives us everything I'm talking about this morning. Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. What if this is actually true? For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow, meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. Proverbs 3, chapter Chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. And he will. Yes, Jesus fulfills that. And the Bible helps him do that. Soul and bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Well, we all kind of know what bone and marrow is, right? Soul and spirit are the immaterial parts. They're not material parts of every person that make us who we are. Join and bone marrow are the physical aspects of our existence. All of this conforms, sorry, all of this combined forms our very humanity. God's Word has the ability to uncover our hidden aspects and make them known. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely the case in my life. Now, did you notice something? I don't think I have this on the screen. If you look up Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, where it says, "For we have the living word of God," that word there, "word," the word "word," is capitalized. "For we have the living word of God." The living. Why would you capitalize That's probably just some mistake. Well, except every translation, does it? Maybe I can help by saying this the living word of God it's infinitely bigger than the book or the text or the characters. Because you see, the living word of God is not a what or a why or a how or a when. It's not text. The living word of God is a who. It's a person. Let me just read directly from the Bible. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 14. In the very beginning, in other words, before there was even time, before there was even anything, when everything was still formless and void, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully was God. They were together, face to face, in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Life came into being because of him. For his life is light for all humanity. And this living expression is the light that bursts forth through gloom, the light that darkness could not diminish. In your Bibles, if you look up the Greek derivation of that word, word, the word is logos. The living expression of God himself. Verse 14, and so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father overflowing with tender mercy and truth. It is thought that was John, James, and Peter at the time that the glory of the Lord came on Jesus on the Mount of Olives. They call it the transfiguration. It is no less true for us right now here today in this room. He can be revealed. He is the living expression. So let's transition to practical application because I think the Holy Spirit, with any luck, has made us see the Bible in a different light. The revelation of Jesus the Christ. God with us. The path to the very Father. The one who created an open heaven. So I've gotten old enough now There are not that many people left alive who remember the old me. And I've moved far enough away from my home area and my former environments where nobody uh, who lives in this region actually ever saw that guy. And I... uh, God never brought me a wife, thank Him, until I was a little bit less worse at putting a wife through me. So I was very fortunate in that regard. And oh, thank the Lord, there was no TikTok, Snapchat, (laughs) YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or any of the other myriad applications that our teenagers are using now. So, how about we get into some actual, and let me, the whole point of that confession. I've read the Bible since I was very young. And it took, obviously, a few years, okay, decades, for a lot of that stuff to stick. But the Holy Spirit is so good, it did. Now I have a ways to go. I also have Scripture, the Holy Spirit connection and surrender. They helped me get there. Mostly scripture. (laughs) He's the God of not second chances, two million plus chances. Here's some practical stuff. May we see the next slide. These are questions commonly asked. People often ask us, what's the best Bible translation to use? Well, let me just give you some guidelines. What makes the translations on the left? And I'll post. We'll post these slides when, along with the recorded message. You can capture them, or you can take a picture of it now. <clears throat> the, the The versions on the left are historically significant because those were overhauls; those were renovations. The King James Version, that came out in 1611, was based upon a very limited set of documents, set of original documents, and and undiscovered or yet to be discovered historical artifacts and so forth. It was also based upon a stream of interpretation by 70 individuals who did the very best they could, some of which in the King James, they just, obviously they said this, this news is too good, so we're going to say a little different from what the actual original language says. I'm not running down the King James. I'm not. I'm just saying that there were two versions well before the King James. Actually, it looks like three. Four. And since the King James, there have been... Because there has been there was so much more knowledge about the original source languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, Koine Greek to be precise, one stream of Greek, and so many more historical artifacts and actual scrolls from back in the day had been uncovered that these translations succeeded as literal translations. None are invalid. Make sense? And on the right, where I'm often asked, what, is, what are the versions that are easiest to read? Now, the message version... I highly recommend it. Eugene Peterson and his team created that. It's an interpretation, not so much a translation. But it is a good interpretation. And many people have benefited greatly from that. Now, I, I, I actually do like to see people go back to an actual translation. The New Living trans or I should say, yeah, the NLT, that, that comes out of the King James stream It's rewording to more contemporary language, the King James Version. I like to point out the ERV, the easy-to-read version, because it was developed initially specifically for people who had hearing deficit or are deaf. So it makes more sense in the English language for people who don't have as comprehensive a view of it, and so forth. I bolded the three versions. People often ask me, okay, 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 John, that's great, but what do you use? Changes from year to year. Right now, these three versions, uh, when I'm really studying, I, I, I really like the way that, I really, how do I put this? The NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, if you don't get the... Don't get the one with the Apocrypha, which are the verses that the Catholic Church adds. Just get the straight-up NRSV. I think does the best job of accurately interpreting, especially New Testament scripture. The English Standard Version is the one I currently read daily. I absolutely love the work that Brian Simmons and his wife Candace and the t- their team are doing in the Passion Translation. Many will argue that it's it's bad, it's ugly, it's off. I find it very thought-provoking and very interesting, but it's not a standalone. It does a great job of helping me ask good questions of the Holy Spirit and otherwise. For just a second, I want to mention reading the Bible versus audio Bibles. Some people absolutely detest reading or just really don't enjoy it. Some people actually have a difficult time reading. By all means, use an audio Bible. Traveling and so forth, by all means, use an audio Bible. Wonderful. Thank everybody who's making audio Bibles. But there is something more about opening a Bible not on your phone. Pages, pages that make sounds. Pages you can touch pages you can feel, pages you can write on and mark up and, and go crazy with. I'm serious. The Bible is a very tactile book. It's full of life energy. It's good to engage. I highly recommend reading it. And given time and enough surrender with the Holy Spirit, the Bible can become more tactile. So please continue trying, even if it's only one verse at a time, reading the Bible. Now there's a wide variation among Bibles there's even different translations will leave out entire verses like uh, because they've been updated the uh, and and other versions will actually put in verses that are not there in the other translations and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not human beings making things up from whole cloth. It's something that has come out of, for instance, the Dead Sea Scrolls, or other manuscripts, or first century manuscripts, second century and so forth, that that were actually translated by scribes and so forth. Does that make sense? Just because one translation doesn't have a verse, or that another one does and vice versa, doesn't necessarily disqualify it. The other piece about it is every Bible, when you pick it up and you look in it, you'll see chapter breaks, right? And verse breaks. You'll see headings and you'll see subheadings, right? Those are put in there by man. Trying to be helpful, but they're not put in there by the Holy Spirit. I, I, there are several examples, and I'm not going to take the time to tell you them today, where it's it's obviously complete. That, no way that chapter should have... Broken there. And there are other places in the Bible, particularly in my mind, in Proverbs, where the the translators of the Bible will say, this is what that proverb is about. No, it's not. The plain reading of it, especially with the Holy Spirit, says it's about something else entirely. So be, okay, they're great guidelines, but they're not sacred. Headlines, subheadings, headings, chapter breaks, verse breaks, and so forth. Wonderfully helpful and not sacred. Please bear in mind that I have not even listed up here all the various adaptations of the Bible, and I recommend every one of them. There are such things as the parallel Bible. You can buy a Bible that has two translations in it, or three even. Good stuff. There are chronological Bibles. The Bible as we know it was not written in chronological order. The first, second, third, fourth book of the Old Testament, no, that's not true. The sixth and on books of the First Testament are not necessarily in chronological order. Certainly the books of the New Testament are not listed in your Bible in chronological order. Well, you can get Bibles where they are. You can get Bibles that have no middle column. They're like paragraph. And they just write them out paragraph style. You can get Bibles that have no chapter breaks and no verses numbered. You can... Does that make sense? None of those are bad. If they're helpful, by all means, invest. Now, I'll tell you one more thing Really consult with Holy Spirit. I'm going to say use with care, maybe even avoid, but certainly use with care or use for very limited purposes helpful Bible editions, the praying man's edition, the man's edition, the entrepreneur's edition, the women's edition, the prayer edition, the you name it, you know, Bible versions targeted towards a certain area of life. Because absolutely, necessarily, they're they're focusing on self-improvement, self-development, which can distract us from the much greater and more glorious and better purpose of revealing Jesus. Not saying they're bad, just saying, is it going to be about me and my needs and my wants and my agenda? Or am I going to put in the work? After this many decades, and after all of my relationships with, which are several, with theologians and leaders, if you remember nothing else today, if you decide that you're going to read the Bible, this is the most important one. The Holy Spirit is present. He's comforter, guide, advocate, all of those things. Now, even people who are not born again, born anew from above, The Holy Spirit's still around. He can still influence. But when we're born anew from above, when we have made God the true Lord of our life, He's within us. The best partner, the best theologian you could ever find never leaves you. You can sense, know, hear from Him. Really important that every scripture is for the church, But not every scripture is to the church. Context is everything. What's proof texting? That's where I take a certain verse of the Bible or a certain set of verses to illustrate a point because it does so so powerfully. It's just that that's never what that verse said. That's proof texting. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Most of the verses that we leaders use to encourage people to give their tithes and offerings have nothing whatever to do with money. In context, they're about something else entirely. That's not to say I'm going to stop using them. But I will try to do so in such a way that you know that and at least be honest about it. This is a concept that you can also apply to money, even though the verse isn't about money. It's important that you know that, though. That's just one example. Well, I don't have time. I just want to sit down and read the Bible. I don't need to, I don't want to become a theologian where I'm asking all the time who's speaking and what's their role and their position and their title and who are they talking to and what's the, you know, what's the audience? What's the actual situation? What's the timeline? What period are we in the whole? I don't have time for that stuff. I'll leave that up to those other people. Well, the Holy Spirit will help you. You don't have to know all those things. It's just super important that you're very conscious that context is everything. I remember one time very clearly, my spiritual dad, who's a very noted theologian in a lot of circles, I called him up one day, and I was talking to him about Psalm 23. Oh, my God, Dad. Oh, my gosh. I've got the, the biggest revelation about when he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And here's what it means. He's, I said, what do you think? He said, no, it just means he makes you lie down in green pastures. <laughs> Study Bibles are good for studying. Getting the context of something, they'll really help you do that. Or just satisfying curiosity. The Holy Spirit will make you curious. Most of the time, every Bible, most Bibles, have a black line at the bottom of every page that go on to do, to do parallel citations and all kinds of different stuff. Most of the time, just read above the black line. Avoid the center column, avoid the black line. Just with the Holy Spirit, read the Bible. Just read. The other thing I'd like to really, really plant in your spirit, we often learn in church, this doesn't apply to everybody in this room, that the Trinity or the Godhead is so weird and different these. Not understandable, not true at all. As you get deeper into the Bible, you will learn over time that it's pretty simple to determine who's speaking of the three. And that actually the Bible will reveal the Trinity beautifully over time. Next slide, please. Tips for unearthing Bible treasure. These are really important. Again, these are things that come out of my own experience and the experience of very highly thought of others. Pray, pray, pray. Engage God before, during, and after reading. Engage the Holy Spirit literally aloud. Every time I read the Bible, I sit on on my way to reading it. I say, Holy Spirit, even though he's inside me, come sit down with me. Sit right by my side. Reveal Jesus more deeply to me. Show me, tell me what you want me to learn and know and grow and transform out of this, out of this session of reading. I really do that, and he does. <laughs> I'll let you read the rest. The big thing here is make this highly, highly, highly personal. There is no right or wrong Place to start. The book of John is an excellent one. And if you want to restart your Bible reading practice, I'd go back to the book of John. And I'd go through it very, very slowly. I I read the book of John I don't even know how many times per year. Be choosy, get personal about what structure or plan to use, if any. Bible reading plan that means. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> We hear it oftentimes, my wife and I. Look, if I, if I go by those Bible tabs so I can find the books in the Bible, because I don't know the 66 books in the Bible in order, does that make me bad? Oh, for heaven's sake, no. Do anything and everything you can to make the Bible, to make the barrier to entry lower. You should see the Bibles on my desk. They're just a mess. It lines and arrows and different color ink and I used to highlight I don't anymore because I got so confusing with all what the colors mean that I, I now I just use a red pen and underline what's this and then I write notes in the margin and upside down and it's a crazy mess and the pages roll up because they've been written in a lot And can I tell you the truth? It was a beautiful gift Bible that I read the most. It cost $150 for this book. It's a lambskin cover and special vellum paper, goatskin. I don't remember. But yeah, I even, quote, ruined, unquote, that Bible. Because you get so much more out of it. I'm really short on time. So let's get this thing finished up. Next slide, please. A few more tips on reading the Bible prospecting unearthing treasure try to avoid other people or talking heads tell you what's important to learn go look up things you're interested in it's probably the Holy Spirit look up what you don't understand oh my goodness before service one of our leaders was up here and she was saying I don't care if you look it up on Google I don't either Google's actually a fairly good source on where does it say in the bible that or what does this verse actually mean don't take their word for it cartwheel around but there's i don't i don't think you're going to i hope you don't think i mean this harshly i don't there's nowadays there's really no excuse for being able not unable to answer a question In the Bible. Call somebody if you have to. Writing things down is very important. The biggest tip of all, the biggest, the most effective tool for unearthing treasure is continually asking the question how is Jesus revealed? What does this tell me about Jesus? How does this help me to know more about what he's like? what he really thinks, and so forth. Tim, we will skip slide eight. I thought it might be low on time. I'll just say it this. I was going to spend a little bit of time. Anybody remember the ancient hymn, Be Thou My Vision? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, so I'm hoping what, I, what I'm what i bringing today is revelational I hope it's revolutionary. It's just that there's nothing new about it. When we use our senses and we rely on Holy Spirit to unearth Jesus, we actually can see him, smell him. that's, That's wrong. We can actually, he can be revealed. God will reveal Jesus. He'll reveal his kingdom. He'll reveal the way, the truth, and the life. In myriad ways, highly tailored, individualized, very personal for you. And that that hymn, Be Thou My Vision, came came out of Ireland. It's 1,600 years old. And if you go look up the lyrics to Be Thou My Vision, that is a great Bible reading resource and guideline. This is what I want out of reading my Bible. So I just recommend you do that. I was going to play that video too. Maybe we will as we walk out of here. But let's just go right to our last slide, which is a call to action. Just make a choice. It's a very simple choice. I want to know God more deeply. One of the best ways to do that is read the Bible. But you know what's even more important? I want to let God know me more deeply. I want to reveal more to Him. I want to live before God with less masks on, less pretense. He already knows it anyway. So I want the Holy Spirit through the work of His Bible to reveal more of me to God so that He can love me even more deeply, change me, grow me. Ask Holy Spirit, please help me right away if you don't already have one. Please help me appoint a good setting for me to call special. One I can go to. Maybe it's an audio Bible in your car. Particularly moms, particularly moms with young children. Oh my gosh. Finding time to read the Bible is incredibly challenging and they don't get enough sleep as it is. But there can be places and times and situations where the word can be unearthed. Back on that back table right there beneath the media booth there are several Bibles. Please come get one. That's the English Standard Version, EESV. Please take one or more. Please put it in different places where if you're not currently carrying a Bible, you could maybe do that. We have some notebooks and some pens. We'll get those out, please, if you need a notebook or a pen. We'll even provide that. But the biggest thing of all, The biggest thing of all. I just want to give you some great theology. Okay? This is what, after decades of Bible reading, I can tell you for sure. God loves you more than you will ever possibly know. Number two, all theology starts here. All theology starts with these three things God is good. He's never not good. God is sovereign over all. We hear in church that He's in control. That's not what the Bible says. But it does say He's sovereign. He's the ultimate head of all. Number three, God knows the end from the beginning. I may not know how this is going to end up, but He does. And He's eminently trustworthy. God is good. God is sovereign. God knows the end from the beginning. And if you want a shortcut, Jesus is good theology. Jesus is good theology. The Bible reveals Jesus. So, took me many decades to get here. You can leapfrog that whole process. You can jumpstart starting today. And here's my, here's my prayer. May the eyes of your heart behold the living expression of God who became a man and lives among us. May you gaze upon his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. May the ears of your heart catch the whisper of your king calling. May you sense the fragrance of Holy Spirit beckoning. May the Lord give you images and visions and senses and dreams of what this could look like for you. May the holy need God put inside you for connection and for holiness and for a tribe and for belonging and for validation, love, acceptance, forgiveness, and even new horizons be amplified beyond resistance. May your courage and your discernment grow and grow over time. And finally, may you reach beyond your tradition and your comfort to the touchable, tangible God. May the beckoning of your Heavenly Father become so real, so strong, so lovely, so powerful, you fully and completely cave into it. May you, over the next many months, grow into a disciple who at all times carries joy unending, peace unshaking, authority unbendable, and power unstoppable. Thank you for coming today. We love you. Thanks again for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. We want to personally invite you to our Sunday services at 1030 a.m. held at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To find out more about the joy life, be sure to visit www.joychurch.life. See you Sunday.